So that's my challenge for the week. And it could be a challenge for you as well. I just would say that during these holidays, we need to be intentional. Make a plan. Do what you think will be best for you and then find out and then learn from it. I think that is a way that works for me. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. I hope you have had a very good week. I'm recording this the day after Thanksgiving, so this is a holiday week for many people, time of gathering, and I hope you have had a great week so far. I know I have had a very good week, cross-country week, actually. Sunday started off with a wedding of a niece and her husband now out at Torrey Pines, north of San Diego, California, and it was a great big outdoor event right on the coast overlooking the ocean. Beautiful scenery. I described our time in California pretty well during the last episode, but now I can talk about the wedding a little bit. And it was a very nice affair. Mid-afternoon it started, and it was in the mid-70s at the start, but then quickly when the sun set at about quarter five, it started cooling off a lot. And they had those outdoor propane heaters, and those helped tremendously. But it was a very nice affair, very great uh, assortment of foods and everything, and everyone had a, a really great time. And then two days after that, on Tuesday, we flew home from California. Good flights, no problems. I know this summer there were really big problems with the airlines, but at least for us traveling during Thanksgiving week, we did not experience any problems. The airports were not overly crowded. TSA was fairly fast, and the flights were uneventful. So that was great. I think we actually got home right around midnight. Wednesday morning, we had a busy day. It was only one day from the time we got home until the Thanksgiving day, and I packed in a doctor's visit that morning. Wednesday morning, I had a doctor's visit. It was my first time there in six months or so, and I was most interested in my A1C. Now, you know that I take my blood sugar readings continuously, 24-7, using my glucose monitor, but this was the let's say, the official blood test reading. And when they measure your A1C in the doctor's office, it's a 90-day average because that happens to be the half-life of your hemoglobin, your red blood cells. And that is how they measure the amount of glucose, literally by the amount of damaged red blood cells in your system. And because blood cells have a half-life of about 90 days, you basically get a 90-day average, give or take. And so my A1C was 6.0. Now, the last time I was there in April, my A1C was 7.0. And that's a, for us with type 2 diabetes, that's a fairly dramatic drop. 7.0 is into the type 2 range. And that they say anything from about 6.4 or higher is type 2 diabetes. So 
at 7.0 in April, I was into the type 2 diabetes range. But now at 6.0, that's the middle of the pre-diabetes range. So they say it's still high. It's higher than normal blood sugar levels, but it's not yet high enough to be in the type 2 range. Now, that is because of medications that I take. That's because of my eating and my movement. So all of that combines to have my A1C reading that the doctor took to be at 6.0. But hey, I will take it for sure. It was only a couple years ago that my A1C readings were up around 11, 11.6 in that area. So I will definitely take an A1C of 6.0. I'm very happy with that. It was an overall good doctor visit, good blood pressure, you know, all the blood work they did and everything was fine, no issues. I noticed on the chart that where she put my diagnosis, it was type 2 diabetes with no complications. So I'm happy to see that, and I want to keep it no complications. Even though my A1C is below the type 2 range, I'll still always have that diagnosis because honestly, if I stop eating things that are helpful, if I stop a lot of movement, if I stop the medications, my blood sugar readings will likely go right back up into that type 2 range, and then complications will ensue. So I want to try and avoid that. Well, here we are the day after Thanksgiving now. Like I said, I'm recording this on Friday, and we have had family here now for a couple days. They started arriving Wednesday. Some more arrived yesterday morning, and we'll have a full house now until Sunday. And I have three of our daughters and their families visiting, so that's great. I think we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people uh, in addition to my wife and I here. And uh, in our little house, we can't sleep everyone, unfortunately. But some are staying here and some are staying very close by in a hotel. So they're able to stay here all day during the day, which is great. I honestly get a little stressed out. I like things calm and quiet, but it's worth it. It is so much worth it to see the little kids playing or to get time with my daughters, their spouses, and things like that. It's, uh, it's very well worth it, having a lot of, I call it, limited chaos, but that's great. I would definitely rather have that than not be able to see the folks, so I'm happy that folks are here for Thanksgiving. I hope you're able to gather. If you have family or friends around, I hope you're either able to gather or stay in touch during the holidays. I know not all of you might celebrate Thanksgiving, I think at least being the end part of November, that's a, a U.S. thing. And I know we do have a lot of folks listening from outside the U.S. Bear with me as I talk about our local holidays. I'm sure you have yours, and I'd be happy to hear about those and see how they compare, especially when it comes to eating and things like that. If you have a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, I'd be very interested in hearing how you deal with that. But for us, it's a great time, and I'm looking forward to the last couple of days that they can be here. So for my challenge for this week, it has been being intentional for Thanksgiving. Now, what do I mean by being intentional for Thanksgiving? In the U.S., especially at our house, it might be the same for a lot of people, but the Thanksgiving holiday seems to be symbolized by an abundance of food. Evidently, that's a tradition. That's how a lot of people celebrate Thanksgiving, we are lucky enough, and I'm thankful that we are lucky enough to not have a food shortage, that we have a full refrigerator, and we were able to provide a wide range of foods for everyone, and folks brought foods. 
And so for us, the Thanksgiving holiday is really centered around a big meals and a lot of them. So like I said, folks start arriving on Wednesday. We had a full house starting yesterday. We will today, Saturday and Sunday. And uh, we're going to have quite a few large meals. Now, so how did I be intentional for Thanksgiving? We'll talk about this in detail, my, my way of doing things uh, later on when we talk about our main topic, which happens to be eating at parties. But for this Thanksgiving holiday, I made a plan to still record the food that I eat because that does keep it in my mind. I think one of the worst things that I can do for myself is mindless eating. And that is where I just pick and nibble and have more and forget about what I just had and go have something else. By writing it down, and again, I use the MyFitnessPal app. We talked about that a few episodes ago. But I like to track it. I like to record it. And sometimes it will guide my eating, but not so much over this Thanksgiving holiday. My intention over this holiday was to enjoy, participate, have the food that's being served, not go prepare something separate for myself, which I would have often done in the past, or not avoid eating, and then perhaps late at night go out and scarf up a bunch of stuff. No, I'm not doing that. I made the intention that I'm going to sit down for the meals. I'm going to have uh, the food that's offered in the meals. I'm going to have the pie. I'm going to have the, uh, we call them snibbles. Many of you would call it hors d'oeuvres or appetizers. We like to call it snibbles. I don't have no idea where that comes from, but it's a word we use. And to have those foods that are out and prepared and presented and enjoy them. They taste great. I try not to overdo it. I don't want that feeling of being stuffed or sick. So at least I'm intentionally not overdoing it, but I am intentionally participating in it. And that's a decision I made. And for some of you, that might work great. For some of you, that might lead to overindulgence and getting yourself sick and having very high blood sugar readings. And you might want to avoid that even on Thanksgiving Day. And that's okay too. In my way of thinking, there's 365 days in the year. If for 48 hours around the Thanksgiving holiday, 48 hours around the Christmas holiday, which we celebrate, um, if I don't have to be restrictive, I th for me that works. I think I will quickly get back to my sensible, what I call it, way of eating. I just uh, like my meat and veg nuts and seeds, some fruit, a little starch, and no added sugar. That's what I do on almost all of the 365 days when I'm being helpful to myself. What I'm not doing, at least is my intention for this Thanksgiving, is to restrict myself to that. So there has been added sugar. There has been plenty of starch, plenty of rolls and breads and biscuits and those types of things with the various meals. But for me, I'm just centering that intentionally around the Thanksgiving holiday itself. Now, tomorrow is no longer the Thanksgiving holiday for me. Yes, we will have people still here in the house, but it's my intention to focus more on what's helpful to me, even if that means eating differently 
than maybe some of the folks in the house are. I did not want to do that for the Thanksgiving day, but tomorrow's Saturday. It's just another weekend. I need to get back at it. So that's my challenge for the week. And it could be a challenge for you as well. I just would say that during these holidays, we need to be intentional. Make a plan. Do what you think will be best for you and then find out and then learn from it. That's, I think, is a way that works for me. Okay, so let's take a look at the news. This first article that I have here for you this week is called How to Manage Diabetes If You Live in a Food Desert. Now, I thought this was very interesting. I just got done explaining here how for Thanksgiving we have a full refrigerator. Then there were treats and whatnot. We have fruits and vegetables and a whole bunch of foods that are very nutritious, a variety of meats. We are lucky. We live within two miles of at least four very large, very well-stocked grocery stores. And even during the worst of the pandemic, we might have been low on a few food items for a few weeks, but nothing ever dramatic or drastic. And plenty of fresh foods always seem to be available in this area where we live. So we're very well off in that regards. Some folks, unfortunately, and you might be one of these folks who live in what they call a food desert. And a, a food desert is defined as a place where access to fresh produce is limited. There's a low or inconsistent supply of fresh, nutritious foods. And that is something that exists. It exists in the United States, exists many places around the world, and it's community by community. 20 miles away, there might be plenty of places to get fresh foods, nutritious foods, unprocessed foods. But then 20 miles in the other direction, you could be in an area, and it's not always an urban area, but oftentimes it is, where there's simply nothing but heavily processed foods that can be on store shelves for months, sugary beverages, refined processed grains. And sometimes that's actually what contributes to having a higher risk of type 2 diabetes. You can also be prone to overeating because they say that this unnutritious food just never really truly satisfies, so you tend to eat more and more. Now, they recommend reaching out to food assistance programs, and that can be things like SNAP or WIC, these government programs that are available. But even though maybe purchasing power is available to assist you, you still have to get local places to buy these foods. And what they're saying is rather than go for processed foods when you don't have, let's say, fresh vegetables, don't go for cookies and crackers, but maybe canned vegetables are your next best thing that you can get because those can be on the shelves for quite a while and they don't take refrigeration. So those might be available to you. It's an interesting article. They link to suggested grocery lists that can be good when you can't find fresh foods. That are, It's often the case in these food deserts. And keep in mind now, a food desert means you don't have immediate access to this fresh food. Now, let's say you are restricted to the, say, public bus transportation or walking. You don't have an automobile, things like that. Even if there's food just five or six miles away, if it's not on your local bus route or if it's not within walking distance, realistic walking distance, then it's almost as if it does not exist. But they're saying oftentimes in even places like 
the dollar stores. You can find brown rice, dried beans, canned meat, things like that, canned vegetables that are almost as good as having all the fresh and food like that. So I recommend this article. It's an interesting read, and they do link to some resources that are there and that could be available to you. This next article is called Diabetic Support Groups. And it's talking about the fact that support groups are often a place where people find the most help rather than trying to help themselves without these external resources when they have type 2 diabetes. They're saying that after receiving type 2 diabetes diagnosis, it often turns into the equivalent of a full-time job trying to manage your conditions. And for a lot of people, it can be overwhelming. Their key takeaway here is that while support groups for diabetics are not actually a replacement for professional medical care, it's often a good assistive tool for people to use. And they do list a lot of the support foundations here. There is Defeat Diabetes Foundation, American Diabetes Association, a membership here online called Beyond Type 2. I'm just reading down through here. There's Diabetes Sisters. And a lot of these are online and support groups. Now, there are some that are more expensive ones you pay for, and they come often with group-type in-person support. But I found it's great to do research, and some of these support groups might be very helpful to you. They say they have peer support, they have advocacy programs, self-expression programs, sharing of information, seeking and giving advice, a lot of things, a lot of benefits to some of these support groups. And for you, you might want one that's online, you might like one that's in person, but I would say check out this article and you might be able to get in touch with a group that works for you. Another article here that I thought was interesting, and let me be clear, there were quite a few articles out there this week that I thought were interesting. And normally I bring you three articles. This time there were so many, I felt like I have to bring you four. So we do have four articles this week, and all of these links are over at the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and also in every episode's show notes. Okay, let's look at the third article here, third of four. And it's called Six Practical Strategies to Manage Stress This Holiday Season. Now, I thought this was a great article, and it's not written for people with type 2 diabetes. This is really for anyone during the holiday season. And, you know, it talks about how you can actually get a significant spike in your stress level during these holidays. And that might be things from family or expectations that you put on yourself demands from friends and acquaintances or work. Some people experience a lot of end of year rush and acceleration at their work during the holidays. And then they're trying to decorate, get gifts, prepare food, all this stuff. And it actually makes stress and things like depression very common during the holidays. So they have six tips here. And again, this is for anyone experiencing stress during the holidays. And the first tip is acknowledge what you're feeling. Acknowledge what's going on with you. Name it. Recognize if you have stress. And then you can decide on how you want to react to it. But they say acknowledging the stress and the fact that it exists is one of the first things you can do to help with your stress. 
They say plan ahead where you can. And sometimes for people, having a plan and maybe putting things in their calendar or having checklists, for some people, they find that very helpful. For you, it actually might add stress. So that often depends on your personality. But if it helps you, then plan ahead where you can. The next thing they have is embrace saying no. And they go on to say having boundaries is essential for your mental health. And part of those boundaries is saying no. Because when people ask you to do something or people ask you for more of your time, more of your attention, they really don't have a clue what's already going on in your life. They don't really know what other stressors you have at this time. So it's fair and it's safe to say no. Just let them know, quite frankly, it's not something you can add to your plate or add to your to-do list at this time. And your friends, the people that respect you, they will be fine with that and understand. So embrace saying no. The next tip is make time for yourself. Now, I say this a lot, but uh, here they're saying it in the article too. So who knows? We might be right. But I say take time for yourself because if nothing else, if you're a caregiver, if you have kids or you have elderly parents or you have a spouse, just know that you won't be there to take care of them if you don't first take care of yourself. So they're going on here, make time for yourself, which is something I strongly believe in. And the strategies for doing these things are in this article. So I'm not going to get into all the strategies. I'm just trying to give you an overview. So do things like go for a walk. If you enjoy it, take a bubble flip bath. For some folks, it's head to the gym, read a book, maybe just listen to music. But take, even if it's just a few minutes, just breathe, relax, take care of yourself. And that'll often help reduce your stress. And then stick to your healthy habits. Now, earlier in this episode, I talked about how for Thanksgiving, I was not being as tight in my control of what I eat, but not for the entire holiday season. I'm talking a couple of days. So if I did that now every day through the first week of January, that would cause me some serious damage. That in the long run would not be good for me. So a couple of days, have some pie. I'm cool with that for myself. You obviously have to determine what works best for you. But for me, tomorrow's Saturday. It's no longer Thanksgiving. I need to do what I know is best for me. So during this season, I'm going to stick to what I know to be healthy habits for myself. And then finally they say, reach out to family and friends. When you need help, especially if you think you are suffering from things like social isolation, seasonal affective disorder, depression, reach out to people who can help you. There are anonymous people. There are 800 numbers where you can just sit and talk to folks when you need help. There are family, friends. You know which ones they are. You know which ones will help with your stress rather than add to your stress. So reach out to them, sometimes just for a small chat. doesn't have to have a, a big, long, drawn-out session. Sometimes just a short chat, see how they're doing, touch base, and sometimes that'll help a lot. So anyway, that's a, it's a fairly long article here, very interesting, but I would encourage you to check out that article. Now, the last article, this is more to do with type 2 diabetes again, 
And it says South Asian people undergo type 2 diabetes remission with low-calorie diets. So they did a study with people of South Asian ethnicity, and they found out that during this trial of coordinated weight management program, and it was called Counterweight Plus, and it showed that those folks who had a weight loss of 10 kilograms, which is about 22 pounds, showed a significant reduction in the symptoms of type 2 diabetes to the point where they went into remission, so their blood sugar was below the type 2 diabetes level. And that was for half of all the participants. And that was dramatic. 46% of all participants in the study achieved remission of their type 2 diabetes. So they link to this study and they link to this eating plan. And it's just reduced calorie. It's, it puts them in a calorie deficit. They lose body fat. They said here that overall 35% of participants lost over 10% of their body weight and their liver fat was nearly cut in half. And uh, that's pretty dramatic. So I thought that was very interesting. Again, there's a link to the full study. There's a link to the eating plan they were put into. And I don't know if that's sustainable. Sometimes if you're in these rigid programs, some people find them not sustainable. But at least during the weeks that they were in this program, they had weight loss, and that weight loss was tied directly to getting off their type 2 diabetes medicines and having blood sugar levels that were lower than the type 2 diabetes diagnosis. So that's another one for you to check out. So those are the four news articles that we have for you this week. Check out the links in the show notes and at the SolvingType2Diabetes.com website. All right, the main topic for this week was eating at parties. Now, there's lots of different type of parties. Parties can be four or six people over at your place on a Thursday evening. Parties can be weddings. Parties can be Thanksgiving Day. Lots of different types of parties that we could be talking about here. So some of what I'm going to be discussing definitely has a difference depending on the type of party it is. If it's something that happens fairly frequently, you're getting together with a few friends, a few family members, you're getting together for a few hours on a random night, that is much different than once a year Thanksgiving Day family celebration or with friends once a year for New Year's Day or something like that. Your plans and intentions for those different types of parties could greatly vary. I know they do for me. If we're just getting together with a few people, I will stick to my planned eating that I know is helpful to me. I will not often participate in a bunch of the treats and sweets and bread and all that kind of stuff if it's a fairly frequent gathering. Because if you go off course on a frequent and regular basis, you're really not on course then. If it's routine, if it's habitual, then that's part of your eating. And it's, for me anyway, it's not helpful to go off course that often. I like to say that just because I'm traveling somewhere doesn't mean I can cut loose and do whatever. 
because we travel so frequently, that would become part of my normal eating, to always cut loose and do whatever. Now I can see if it's your one week a year where you're on a family vacation, maybe, yes, maybe you want to lighten up a little bit and be more go with the flow, so to speak. It's not a bad thing to always be mindful of what's helpful to you. But if you travel, you know, one or two weeks out of the month, then that type of thing can't always be something special and outside the normal bounds of how you eat and move. So what I'm talking about, I think, is eating at these more special and, let's say, annual occasions. Now, the same way, if you have 25 annual occasions, well, that's no longer rare and special. If you have birthday cake every single day that one of your friends or relatives has a birthday, well, you could find friends and relatives to have birthdays on maybe 150 days a year. Again, that's quite a bit of cake. But if you're talking maybe a handful of birthdays where you're fully into the cake and ice cream or your Thanksgiving, Christmas if you celebrate Christmas, New Year's, a few holidays like that's not what's going to throw you off track. There's 365 days in a year. And depending on you and depending on your personality, you may be able to hang up the, I'm going to call them guidelines for a few of those days and get right back on track. You might have the type of personality that one piece of Halloween candy can set you off course for months. I know I did that exact same thing. Oh, it might have been maybe 15 years ago, but I had a full year and a half of very, I'm going to say, controlled eating. I kept within a certain caloric intake every day. And I was slowly but steadily losing significant amounts of body fat over the course of, say, a year and a half to where I don't think I had a piece of cake, candy, or ice cream during that entire year and a half. And I was fine with that and didn't mind it. And then Halloween came around and I said, you know what? I deserve or I have earned or whatever you want to say, a piece of candy here. So I had one. I had a miniature Snickers bar maybe. And then I had another one, and then I had about 10, and then I think I had about 20. And I gained back over the following six to eight months, probably just about everything I lost in the preceding year. Now, I try not to do that anymore. I try not to be too extreme, and therefore I don't have anything that's quote-unquote off-limits. I do have things that I try not to have in excess, especially now with my type 2 diabetes diagnosis, I know with my continuous glucose monitor how everything I eat affects me. So the proof is right there visible to me, which is one of the things I really like. Anyway, back to eating at parties. Sorry for that sidebar there. Planning and intentions uh, really depend on the type and frequency. So what I want to talk about now is the party where you do not want to overindulge. And I find for that type of gathering, I pregame. Now, what do I mean by pregame? Sometimes right before I go, I'll have a small dinner of meat and maybe a protein shake. I'll have some food before the party so that I'm not very hungry at all during the party. And it's really not a bother to eat lightly at the party. I find that is helpful. If for you, that might work. It might not work for you. You have to know yourself there if these strategies are going to be directly applicable to your own situation. 
One of the things that I really do want to stress, though, is no stress. No stress and no aftermath. What I mean by that is one day, one event, one meal is not going to ruin your efforts. What is really more damaging is if you stress over it, get all worked up, beat yourself up over it, and then deal with that aftermath. Because quite often, when you have negative feelings about something you ate or something you did, that will bring about more negative feelings that will then cause you to, quote unquote, throw in the towel or figure it's already ruined. So don't have that stress. If at a particular party you ended up eating, oh, this is not what I had planned. I actually ate either certain foods that I was said I was not going to eat or I ate much more of foods that I thought I would eat. Okay, that's done. Move on. Don't stress about it. Don't have aftermath from that event. Just simply, when you wake up, hey, this is a brand new day. I can choose what I'm going to do this brand new day. Don't forget, this is a long game. If you have a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, like I do, we will always have that diagnosis. This is a long game. This is a series of daily planning, daily effort. It will hopefully become habit. Good eating can very well become a good habit, just like eating things that are not helpful to you can become a habit. So remember, you're in this for the long game. When you're in the moment, yes, it's a decision. Yes, it's a choice. Whichever way you go with that decision or choice, realize that the next moment is brand new. Get back in it for the long game. I guess that's my biggest point. If you have questions about eating with, at parties, if you have struggles eating at parties, let me know. Bring up your point of view. Share it. If you want me to, I'd be very happy to share it on the podcast, and we can talk about this some more. Okay, so your questions for the week. Now, we don't have any questions. That happens quite a bit. Quite often, we don't have any questions, so I encourage you to send in your feedback. I encourage you to send in a question. We've had a few, but not too many here in the last couple of weeks. So how do you send in a question? You can send me an email directly, tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. Just send me an email. You can give me feedback on the podcast. You can ask a question. You can bring up a topic you would like discussed on the podcast, and I'd be very happy to discuss it. Or if you just want to ask a question privately, we can do that as well. I'd be happy to maybe point you towards some good information. Or you can go to the solvingtype2diabetes.com website and click on Feedback. And right there, you can send in your feedback likewise. And that actually sends me an email as well, but you don't have to remember the email address that way. So either way is fine. All right, so what's next? This week, we talked about eating at parties. And we said that sometimes that can go off the rails. Sometimes that can be the cause for 
a long-term eating and movement that is not helpful to your goals. So next week, I want to talk about getting back on track. We find ourselves often in the situation where after we've eaten or done something that is not part of our healthy plan, that we need to get back on track. So that's normal, that's human, and we're going to talk about that next week. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.